and welcome to episode 410 of the Crate and Crowbar gaming podcast being recorded on the 16th of November 2022. I'm Marsh Davis and tonight I'm joined by Jamie Britton. Hello. Hello Jamie, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, how are you Marsh? Oh super, super thank you. I've been playing a game from the distant past, Jamie. Oh, is it the ancient game of chess? Or backgammon back. back. <laughs> um, I have to say, I'm I'm not quite cerebral enough to uh, play chess in the way that Tom Senior does. Uh, those are, those were really interesting um, arguments about the nature of chess recently. Whether it is indeed a game at all um, online, um, I can't really recapitulate those arguments because, frankly, it was a little above my head. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom Francis um, did some very good stuff about programming chess AI, which was which was quite funny to read on his blog. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, reading the things that he uh, says he would change about it. Um, I, I agree with all of those changes. Although I, th- I think my main problem with chess is it feels because it's been played so much into such a high level that so many of the moves are now sort of rote actions that it feels a bit more like uh, uh, an act of reproduction rather than deep strategy at the level that I could ever play it anyway. You know, you're just you're just uh, uns- I mean, uh, at the level I play it, it's just chaos, obviously. I'm a complete noob. But if I were to try and get good at it, then I'd be learning essentially patterns, just reproducing patterns without any great understanding of the kind of overarching strategy that they lead to. So I, I don't find it a very satisfying game in that in, in, in that context because I'm, I'm just not smart enough to contain the multitudes of information that it really requires. Yes, although there's a flip side to that because I'm exactly the same. But there's a flip side to that where... If you don't care about getting better and you play <laughs> someone who is just as shit as you are, then it's a really fun game. Like it's a really great, like sort of low level strategy game. My partner is also shit at it. And, you know, when the few occasions when we've played, we've had a great time sort of double crossing each other and catching each other out because at its kind of basic level, it's a it's a really fun kind of strategy game, you know. Um the moment one of you starts to try harder and try to get better at the game though that that system entirely falls to pieces that i think so you have to just both agree to not ever get better at it if you want to enjoy it I, you know i'm all down with that kind of pact i I, th- I think uh past pods i've advocated for the scrubland remaining as a scrub forever refusing <laughs> to learn i think that's the that's the best way in which you can keep competition alive is just to not be too keen on on winning <laughs> absolutely especially it's great great life um advice for losers as well just generally exactly. <laughs> just like come down to my level it's great here i promise yeah that's the that's that's the way i get through each day too uh... <laughs> but actually i have to say uh chess wasn't the game i've been playing i've been playing uh the ancient mesopotamian game of uncharted <laughs> um <laughs> Specifically, Uncharted: Lost Legacy, and I thought actually I was going to um, be playing because it, it Lost Legacy is um, uh, was actually going to be DLC for Uncharted Four. Then it became a standalone. Then it got bundled, I think, with Uncharted Four, and now it's been um, released on PC in a remastered format uh, as part of the Legacy of Thieves bundle. Um, but I, I, I thought I was actually going to be playing all of the Uncharted games when I got the bundle. I didn't read <laughs> read the, uh, the information terribly carefully. Um, I, but I, you know, uh, I, I thought it would include all of the Uncharted games uh, on PC, and I, it might be interesting to find out why it doesn't. Like, I mean, it's obvious. I mean, it's obvious reasons probably why it doesn't, and that it would have taken more work to put out all of the the, the first um, three Uncharted's on on PC. Um, but I wonder, you know, I'd like, I'd like to know the exact reasoning behind that, because I I suspect they, you know, they weren't willing to re-release the earlier three games without giving them some massive jazzy glow up, um, which presumably seemed prohibitive. Um, but Uh, you know, the thing is, I personally would have liked to have played the games again as they came out of the box originally, like low res textures and all. Um, just because I was really keen on the idea of playing all of them again in sequence to get some sort of you know like final and, and complete view of the series. I have to say that when you mentioned in the green room uh, that you were pl- that that's what you've been playing, I made exactly the same assumption. I was like, oh, that's a collection of Uncharted one, two, and three. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, it does seem. 
Weird for them just to release the you know, like the final instalment and then some DLC, which probably you wouldn't really be able to interpret without having played Uncharted Two at least. I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway, that sort of just just uh, putting things out, making making old games accessible, doesn't seem to be what Naughty Dog uh, does anymore. What with the the remake of The Last of Us, um, and I suspect. I suspect even more so than remaking The Last of Us, the earlier Uncharted games would require a much more complete reappraisal um, just to meet modern expectations of gameplay. I mean, regardless of like the, the you know the updating the graphics, which would be a, a far from trivial thing in itself, I think they would probably have to look again at most of the mechanics. Or I mean, that you know that's my suspicion, and that was in fact one of the reasons that I wanted to play them all again was to get that kind of perspective. <laughs> well, uh, you feel they, like they'd be victim because like. The first two particularly were so influential, you know, kind of creeping up behind Resi 4 in terms of how quite how influential they were, I think, that they're sort of they sort of be victims of that because, you know, the, the formula has been taken away and refined and, and, and done to a you know higher fidelity, you know, elsewhere for, you know, over a decade now. So you can imagine them, uh, you know, uh, feeling a bit adverse to just popping them out in their in their retro vibes, although I, I agree, I'd love to play uh, uh, Uncharted Two in particular, which uh, you know, again in the uh, in the old school way. Yeah, yeah, I have fond memories, especially of Uncharted Two. But you know, I, I mean, I'd, I'd be playing, uh, I'd be playing them in the spirit of kindness. You know, <laughs> yeah. Naughty Dog, if you're listening, <laughs> I wouldn't be too judgmental. You wouldn't be doing um, like a YouTube video where you're going like, "What the hell? What the <laughs> doing all that sort of?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, anyway, Lost Legacy. Um, it was originally, as I said, intended to be DLC for Uncharted 4, uh, which I think the team was, they were making it, I guess they, they were sort of, they had uh, spare capacity after Char- uh, uh, as Uncharted 4 was kind of wrapping up and as The Last of Us 2 was beginning to be made. Uh, and so they sort of, and they squeezed it into their fed schedules, um, but it ended up like feature creeping its way upwards of 10 hours, I think. Um, and so they turned it into a standalone game although it doesn't um it doesn't spare like any time really on scene setting or establishing who the characters are so it still feels like an expansion um you i don't know that you know players outside of uncharted fans would come to it and immediately get really what what the fuck was going on um especially it doesn't even follow nathan drake who has name recognition but instead follows uh characters chloe fraser and nadine ross um the former of whom is a roguish treasure hunter and sometime flame of Nathan Drake and the latter is a, a brusque mercenary and sometimes enemy of Nathan Drake. And off they go together on a jaunt to annihilate UNESCO World Heritage Sites in India. <laughs> um, <laughs> one massively overdesigned temple at a time, also while being pursued by a private military company with a megalomaniacal megalomaniacal leader well done <laughs> thanks uh as they always are there's always a megalomaniacal leader in these things uh, but i've been really really enjoying it like it's um it does it does feel in some ways a little bit sort of stayed now in, in some of the puzzle design uh but the structure of the game is is in some ways a lot more exciting to me than um the later naughty dog blockbusters um which sort of feel like they, you know, Naughty Dog have sort of put aside some of the mechanical ambition to make way for like serious drama, you know, albeit serious drama with zombies in it for some reason. And um, I don't know, I was just playing Lost Legacy. It made me kind of wonder if, you know, wonder about an alternate reality because here you've got these restrictions, presumably on the on the on the size and scope of the game. Uh, that Naughty Dog imposed upon themselves. And by condensing it, they actually found ways in which that structure could become more open and more interesting. Like in a similar way to uh, the, the like the clever economic way that uh, the Moon Crash DLC for Prey was uh, was made. So there's there's some amount of repetition there and they found ways in, wait, in you know making that repetition interesting. Uh, and here you've got you know, like uh, a lot of non-linear kind of exploration. And I kind of just fantasize about a future of Naughty Dog games that could have looked different if they had doubled down on that instead of, you know, just really high-res people being sad. 
uh, <laughs> whilst zombies attack them. Um, yeah, I yeah. So it starts out in quite a a linear way, like it has that you know matinee adventure feel, and you are sort of bouncing between cutscenes for the first part of the game, and then it just opens out into this fairly big hub um, set in the the Western Ghats mountain range in India. Um, which is inhabited, by the way, because uh, I looked this up. Uh, but here, because it feels like this, you know, land before time, sort of forgotten, beautiful uh, uh, idyllic valleys and mountains and, and gigantic lakes uh, in a kind of compressed and implausible geography. But I really wonder what uh, what people from India make of it, you know, like, I mean, I know I was bemused by um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla's just unrecognizably weird version of England. But I, I don't know, I, I wonder, because th there's such a context of uh, the West's habit of over exoticizing other nations that maybe, maybe making out the Western Gats to be this magical land of which is devoid mysteriously of people and just uh, you know the remnants of ancient civilizations i wonder if that's i don't know maybe a bit <laughs> racist <laughs> uh, well, it's a bit it's a bit like that uh, eddie is a bit about uh, american settlers landing there for the first time and being like we can be free to practice our religion here there's nobody here excuse me there's nobody here <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there's well i'll tell you what we'll come back to these sorts of issues in a bit but um, in any case, in terms of the structure of the game, you can explore that environment in any order you choose. You tootle around on this extremely kind of fun and capable Jeep. Um, and, and like in some ways, it's me meaningless that you go back and forth across this environment. Um, but there is this sort of clever ordering to the way it reveals additional points of interest and things to explore within it if you haven't found them already. And there's lots of really kind of neat gating mechanisms that sort of shape and, and, and control your exploration. So like like muddy escarpments that you'll slither down if you try and try and try to go up them on foot mean that you're always sort of tethered in your awareness to where your vehicle is and you never get too far away from your vehicle um, because the, the, the vehicle's tire treads can just scoot right up those slopes. Um, and there's lots of stuff like that about how how you flow around that environment and where your objectives are and uh, how smart it is about not boring you really and, and making you go back across too much landscape and giving you shortcuts and so forth and whoever blocked out like the flow of that environment deserves a lot of applause i think um but i think it does go a little bit underexploited and, and it, they don't do as much with that as, as they could um, but the other thing I really like about it is, is the two characters, Chloe and, and Nadine, um, who I already liked because I'm an Uncharted fan. But like they they sort of begin with uh, like fairly snitty hostility, but then it just really quickly develops into this just very nice kind of warm relationship based on mutual respect. And it's just it's incredibly pleasurable to be in the center of that. And it's sort of executed with a sort of wit and, you know, lightness of touch that uh, generally typifies Naughty Dog's writing efforts. Um, and it's, I don't know, there's just lots of little things in it I like. It's just the way the script just shows off a sort of maturity and, and restraint in that there are like quips and callbacks and, uh, you know, they the callbacks are good. They twist and they evolve the joke, but they never sort of outstay their welcome. And there's subtext when subtlety is needed. And, you know, there's there's just frank explication when, you know, efficiency is required. And there's a lot of neat, very inobtrusive ways in which the game, via its characters, delivers information to the player. Just, just like, really simple stuff. Like, you'll be given the nod that there's an objective for you across uh, a waterfall, um, but the characters will, in their dialogue, make it clear that they don't see a way across immediately. And it just it's just it's just very good about giving you that information. So you don't waste your time trying to reach things, but you know that it's going to become relevant later. And there's just a huge amount of attention to that, that kind of stuff. It's just really good at anticipating what the player is thinking all the time. Um 
And aside from that, a lot of a lot of the dialogue is just really lively. It's got this great vocal delivery from Claudia Black and Laura Bailey as Chloe and Nadine, respectively, uh, which just feels just miles ahead of a, a lot of other games and voice acting. Well, in Uncharted 2, which was the first Uncharted game I played, I, I think I mentioned this on a previous pod, but the, the level between you and Chloe, uh, and I'm about to sound very, very old um, and and middle class, but I think that level when you first meet Chloe as Nathan is the first time I've ever found a character in a video game, and I'm going to say it, sexy. <laughs> and it's nothing to do with the character model, really. It is the performance. It's the physicality she has with you, and it's the fact that the level is basically... You know, she, you're you're sort of helping each other climb up walls and escaping from helicopters and stuff like that, and it has this incredibly tactile quality to it as you're giving each other knees up and hoisting each other up onto each shoulders, all all under kind of all undercut with this kind of flirtatious, you know, femme fatale, I can't trust you, sexy, sexy talk. Um, <laughs> and because your character has this kind of, you know, Indiana Jonesy kind of aloof attitude, but she can get to him, it's the dynamic of that level as an introduction to her that makes her sexy, makes her attractive, makes her like a character that you sort of um, has exactly the correct effect on you. To the point where at the end of that game, spoiler alert, where Nathan goes off with the lady from the first game, which I hadn't played, I was kind of like, oh, why? who's she? Like, <laughs> Chloe. <laughs> Chloe's right there, Nathan. Um, so yeah, just I just wanted to inject that bit of um, uh, uh, unreconstructed horniness there, because I do think... <laughs> yeah, I do think that is a bit of a, a bit of a work of genius, that level, in that it builds a relationship between two characters. Um, and the chemistry crackles between them. And I don't think I'd ever seen that in, in a video game before that point. Yeah, well, we'll come back to the sexiness in a second, but the uh, that's definitely true of the relationship between Chloe and Nadine here as well. It just really, uh, it builds to a level of uh, affection that you can't help but completely sympathize with. It's incredibly effective writing. And it's just not, it's not just that their dialogue is good, it's that there are mechanical ways in which that, that relationship is underscored which also help to alleviate things that might come become boring so one of the things you do as you're going around uh destroying these beautiful temples is that you use the winch on your jeep to yank these ancient beautifully carved doors off <laughs> um and you do it a few times and it's uh it's a, sat- a satisfying uh interaction uh, as you kind of your you know tires spin in the dirt but then later you know, it realizes that it's this is this isn't really a very interesting and deep set of interactions for you to have, and so Nadine just takes over from you. And she says, oh, "It's all right. I've got this. I've got it this time," and it, it plays into this <laughs> it's sort of like a uh, very short running but uh, uh, entertaining joke about how Chloe doesn't you know wants to drive, and uh, and Nadine takes the opportunity at this one time to. Her drive and she's like you know i can drive and chloe's like yeah backwards <laughs> <laughs> but so here's a, th- a a thorny subject but as genuinely wonderful as it is to spend time with these two characters who are complex uh they're, they're you know brilliant in their own right they're sort of very forthright powerful women uh both uh, women of color um both the actresses are white. Laura Bailey is actually from Mississippi, uh, not as her character is from South Africa, though I my ears are not well attuned enough to that accent to detect any flaws in it. So, and, and you know, while I think in a perfect world, it sh- absolutely shouldn't matter where an actor is from if they do a good enough job of acting and they are earnest in that uh, we don't live in that perfect world, and there is such a thing as sort of uh, appropriation. Um, and there's just something quite awkward about the game making these moves towards diversity of its characters, but not of its cast. And I know that they couldn't really have recast those characters in, in this installment, but I don't know. There's just something about, for example, Igda nominating it for an award in their diversity <laughs> category, uh, which just feels a little weird do you i mean how do you feel about that do you, do you feel that because uh, it's a difficult thing isn't it to tell actors who are by their nature chameleonic to try and not be and stay in their lane 
But uh, is is there a kind of uh, a barrier when it comes to voice actors specifically performing yeah. as other uh, racial identities? It's interesting because I just checked, you know, the date of this game, and it came out in 2017, which was longer ago than I thought. And I do actually think that in that, you know, rather brief time, even though it feels like that's been about a thousand years since it was 2017, mm-hmm. I do think we've got a lot better at specifically yeah. this stuff. Um, and by we, I mean, you know, uh, the, the media. Um, I've been really pleased <clears throat> recently to see a lot of TV shows like really go for their diversity in, mm. in the way that would have been, I think probably would have been described as as tokenistic or, or something like that in the past, the, the recent Sandman show, which just really went all out on like, you know, let's, let's really make an effort to diversify this cast and how um, natural it seems and how... And rings of power as well. I mean, I, I yeah. don't... I absolutely love that show in a lot of ways, yeah. but uh, I really did uh, think its casting choices were pretty fantastic, and uh, especially since it's given us the pleasure of seeing Lenny Henry on screen again, which uh, I, I don't know, just fills me with uh, nostalgia and joy. I wish he was in more things still. Yeah, I mean, I to- I totally get it feeling ick now. I wonder, you know, how many people found it ick in 2017. I'm sure plenty mm. of plenty of people of color did. I wonder how many white men did you know i think we've 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 got a bit better at recognizing some of that stuff and i don't they probably wouldn't have made it now <laughs> um uh, well in, in that way perhaps so there's another uh, aspect to this which makes it even more interesting slash uncomfortable and that is that up until this game chloe's ethnicity was not specified uh in earlier games both like in the in-game models and the concept art and the design documentation, she is made out to be intentionally racially ambiguous. Um, to the extent that I 100% thought that she was uh, Hispanic based on my encounters with her in previous games. Um, and this game establishes her of being of Indian descent. And there are subtler changes to her appearance that make that more apparent. Um, and like... Absolutely fine. Go ahead, do that. Uh, it was a surprise to me that 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 uh, that she turns out to be Indian, though. So I sort of went back and I was like, "Do I have I just completely wildly misremembered or mildly misread her ethnicity in previous games?" Well, I, so I did a bit of digging, and needless to say, there's there's a lot of horrid discussion online <laughs> about whether this is a woke retcon. And there are people uh, decrying, you know, creatively Neil Druckmann, or should I say Cuckman, uh, as an <laughs> SJW and so on. And so, you know, the fucking idiots are out uh, on this issue. But then I looked at some of the quotes from the art and design books uh, about Uncharted and Un- oh, sorry, Uncharted 2, which is when Chloe appears. And the quotes clearly establish that Chloe isn't white, but they don't present a really great argument either. So let me just read you this bit from page 22 of The Art of Uncharted. And uh, we'll see how audibly your toes curl. Um, (laughs) Chloe Fraser is an exotic ex-girlfriend of Drake's. She's meant to be sort of dark and mysterious, so he wanted to be somewhat exotic-looking, of mixed ethnicity. She's definitely the opposite of Elena, who's the, the, the girlfriend from the first game, Who's more cute, perky, blonde, all-American girl type? As a contrast, we wanted Chloe to be dark and smouldering. Visually, she's a bit more dangerous. Mm. Elena seems very safe in contrast. And when you see Chloe, it's like, uh, sorry, this looks like fun, but it could be bad. This could end badly. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, generously, you might say that Naughty Dog were intentionally playing on the closeted parochial racism of their player base. But, you know, I mean, that quote quite clearly draws a a line between white girls being safe and non-white girls of some unknown kind being dangerous. Well, yeah, Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I think part of why that character worked for me in Uncharted 2 was that, like, when you're introduced to her... I could tell that her coding was um, exotic. God, they use the word exotic in that thing a lot. God, that's such a horrible mm. word. I could tell that that was the coding of the character. 
like the sort of character who is either going to try and murder James Bond or will be murdered by someone else to get at James Bond, right? Um, but uh, I think the performance of Claudia Black kind of elevates it beyond that. You know, I think yeah. that's the, that's the get out that they have there because it, she actually just brings so much more humanity to the role and like the fact that Uncharted was like an early pioneer of using the actors in mocap rather than just you know sticking their voices in yeah. there i think really helps and so her, can... her, her australian accent also uh, I, I think helps it avoid being uh it, it helps avoid some sort of level of ethnic specificity that could have been problematic but i also think that's sort of a get out in a way like they let themselves off the hook by doing that but also i don't know there's something about uh embracing the ambiguity of it which is itself somehow sort of uh coy yeah it's a little bit confused about the intention the fact of the matter is is that that the character herself feels real and feels vivid to players i think in in ways that Mm. lots of characters don't um i think yeah you're on very shaky ground when you're when you're sort of retconning yourself into a character's past you have to be so careful with this stuff because people are rightly offended by um, using a bunch of racial tropes in order to kind of, you know, sort of excite the imaginations of a kind of the morons they assume are going to play the game, right? It's just mm. a kind of really base way of doing things. But I think, you know, the attitude should be one of kind of onwards and upwards with this stuff rather than yeah. like kind of embracing that murkiness to kind of say, oh, well, actually she's from India and that means we can make some points about India in this game which well, I'm going to assume is... Is, is is pretty insensitive, uh, at least to some degree, and kind of saying, well, our character's Indian, so we can say what we want. And like, well... <laughs> yeah, that's the worry I have, is that it gives Chloe a license to detonate ancient Indian temples <laughs> in a way that was more problematic for Nathan Drake. Like, Uncharted, Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones, all, you know, it's, it is colonial plunder. And so I wonder if there's a degree to which they have superimposed an Indian identity to make that more of a get out of jail free card, where, which, mm, I don't know, it, none of this comes across in the text of the game, I have to say, this is just me sort of kind of gnawing on my fingernails about it afterwards, <laughs> which is probably un- unhelpful. <laughs> but but I mean, can, I, can I just read you an extra bit from page 25? Oh, please do. Does it include the word exotic? (laughs) Oh, uh, yes. Uh, (laughs) We tried out a number of ethnic variations for Chloe, including Indonesian, European slash French, African and Indian. Sometimes a little exotic with a hint of danger. We wanted Drake to be attracted to her, but with a definite undercurrent of unpredictability. For God's sake. (laughs) So racist. (laughs) like no (laughs) don't do that don't don't tie a line between the race and the level of danger and unpredictability that a character poses also right like Uh, you know the uncharted games are fun because they have a saturday morning you know kind of um indiana jones sort of you know vibe to them um and you know not that that means that they shouldn't well i was gonna say not that i think they shouldn't confront these issues because that's like my problem with Uncharted Three is it was far too serious about itself, um, and uh, and I'd enjoyed the kind of throwaway nature of, of Uncharted Two, and in Uncharted Three that seemed to be a little bit um, a little bit lacking. Mm. So I just I just think it's I don't know it's just tricky ground for them because they're kind of comedy games in a funny kind of way, and they're very mm. good at being comedy games. Um, so yeah, I just think absolutely have to have their wits about them with. With regards to that stuff, but yeah, I suppose we, we are discussing games uh, from a less enlightened past, and uh, presumably we are seeing uh, a direction of travel across these games, which is positive. Not from um, Square, not from Square Enix <laughs> with their recent all that kind of bullshit about their, uh, you know, the, the the makeup of their characters in their game set in fantasy Europe, which you oh, know, I, I won't. Uh, uh, re-go uh, re, re over here but you know it is that kind of weird thing where they're sort of the statement kind of goes well this is you know talking about the game they're making as if that is the most as if they've like mined it out of the ground like it's a piece of like creative <laughs> ore that they can only refine you know down a certain amount but it's always going to stay the same base metal 
And it's like, no, you're making this game. You're you're continuing to make this game. Why don't you like, you know, change the game, make it different. People would love you for it if you, you know, actually engage with this conversation rather than ignoring it. Uh, anyway, I I, I I rant and I shouldn't, but uh, <laughs> you know, we have got better in to some respect. But that uh, that Final Fantasy sixteen thing was infuriating for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, okay. Maybe we can say that Naughty Dog alone <laughs> has learnt lessons across its uh, the gestation of its its various games. Yes, although with Naughty Dog, when they were like with The Last of Us Two, and they were like, you know, me and the team watched video footage of people being shot and murdered and how crowds acted. Like, okay, guys, that's 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 a lot. <laughs> that's a lot yeah. to ask your employees to be doing. Um, yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I'd I'd like to see them return to uh, something less emotionally taxing uh let's say than the last of us and the last of us 2 which are grueling games if you um if you read that uh, uh reset book by jason schreier they talk about how neil Druckmann he made um uh the last of us which nearly killed him and then he was asked to go straight into making um uncharted 4 a game he didn't want to make that emmy hennig was going to make but then she left and so he went straight from uh from The Last of Us into Uncharted 4 and then straight from Uncharted 4 into um, The Last of Us 2, which just sounds... Doesn't sound survivable, frankly. No, it doesn't sound survivable at all. And I guess that's why he's now, you know, I guess semi-out of the games industry and making the TV show because... What a beta cuck. (laughs) Obviously, I don't mean that. Soy soy boy Neil Druckmann. (laughs) God. I'd I'd love to see uh, uh, Naughty Dog return to something a bit more kind of... Upbeat, vivacious, and importantly, mechanically uh, experimental in the way that they could afford to be with Lost Legacy. Grim, dark, Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> uh, what have you been playing, Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing Somerville, um, which is the new game from Jumpship. Uh, just out on Xbox Game Pass in the last couple of days. This is the company co-founded by Dino Petty, who was uh, the co-founder of Playdead and did Limbo and Inside. And it's a game, I think, which is drawing a fair bit from uh, both of those games, particularly Inside, and also just cinematic platformers in general. Uh, Your uh, Another Worlds and your... um, What's that darkness one with the lightning and <laughs> flashback and all those games? Yeah, I was really excited about this one. Um, the game that the other uh, uh, Playdead dude is making is like a weird, like, marble pushing game. <laughs> it just looks really strange <laughs> and completely unlike inside entirely. So, oh, is that the one with the beetle? Yeah, yeah, it looks crazy. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll definitely play it, but it looks completely mad. Um, and I happen to think uh, Inside is one of the best games ever made and i'll talk about it a bit later because it compares to this game in various ways <laughs> so um the the basic premise of somerville is you're a, you're a man uh with a family and then an, a big alien invasion happens this is the opening of the game uh and after some shenanigans with lights outside your farmhouse and stuff going down um with aliens and and monsters and stuff like that, you are basically set off into this world, which is a sort of quite soon after invasion, I think, America, uh, sort of uh, landscape. And in the sort of cinematic platformer ilk, you are walking from, essentially walking from one side of the screen to the other, solving puzzles and, you know, sort of being subjected to various uh, dangers that you have to kind of... Uh, navigate your way around very simple controls you know it's there is a uh, not a jump button in this one uh, it's just like an interact button and then you have some uh, abilities that you gain along the way which kind of the game uses as its main sort of um dynamic um i think it is i've i've uh, completed it now i think it is it, it kind of i feel I feel bad about this game (laughs) (laughs) because it is in its own way, as the kids say, so much. There is so much about it that I love. Um, The design, the animations, the world, 
the kind of vibes, the hashtag vibes of the whole thing are really, really great. And there's just some beautiful work across the board, particularly with the kind of lighting of it. It's got this extraordinary mm. colours, these purples and blues, um, and kind of colours like that that kind of streak across the sky. Um, and also, the, you know, the character models do a lot with with very little. Um, and, you know, a lot of the sort of more cinematic sequences are genuinely spectacular. You feel like you're playing through um, the uh, Tom Cruise War of the Worlds movie or, or something like that. Um, and those elements I really, really enjoyed. Um, unfortunately, the game is very bad to control, um, very sluggish. I felt like I was wandering around in Kentucky Route Zero on more than one occasion, you know, a game that, uh, you know, uh, is very good at actually at speeding you up once you're getting a little bit frustrated with how slow you're moving. But in this game, oh man, you're just sort of sloping in this kind of sluggish, defeated way from, you know, across these levels. Um and, you know, in a game where you're sort of trying to puzzle things out and pull levers and drop buckets and stuff like that to make things happen, like being able to quickly traverse backwards and forth across these environments is really important. So like having this guy literally slog his way through some translucent alien slime in order to, you know, realize that that particular pixel that you were heading for isn't an interactable point is um, incredibly irritating and frustrating. Um uh, I know there was an early puzzle with a, a bucket that, uh, uh, for me, was was just a minor frustration compared to what came later. But was that the moment that you rage quit, Marsh? Um, I don't know. I don't remember there being a bucket. There was a well. <laughs> a well, yes. The well. I didn't puzzle. see a bucket, and uh, maybe that's the problem. Yeah, there's a there's a bucket down the well that you have to get. Um, but like, <laughs> the story the game tells is. It's not as original as I would have liked to have been. I was really hoping for something a bit more like Inside. And it's hard to compare games to Inside because Inside is so good. But it's ho- it's helpful to talk about it in regards to this game because there's so much it does right that Somerville does wrong. So, for example, in Inside, you're a little boy. At the beginning of the game, you drop down on one side of the screen on the left-hand side, and you run to the right, and that is what you do for the rest of the game, right? Always running left to right in in two dimensions, backwards and forwards. This game adds a third dimension, right? You're you're often you're walking from right to left, pointedly, I think, um, for most of the game, but not all of the game. Um, and also, you're you're able to walk up and down, you know, into the screen and out of the screen as well. It's disastrous because, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in Inside, that meant that they could put things in your path with real intention and you would always know what things you were supposed to interact with and what things were background. It, this game does not have that. And so it is very unclear in lots of the puzzles um, uh, what it is you're supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to be fiddling with. So that's sort of one strike about it. The other thing Inside does amazingly is that it is a series of levels, discrete environments, all of which which pretty much introduce one mechanic for the duration of that level and then abandon it. As soon as you're about to get bored of that thing, it's gone and you're doing something else. And it generally doesn't return to those things unless it's going to do something that's a genuinely new spin on these things. This game gives you a couple of powers as the game goes through uh, which basically involve liquefying alien architecture and then hardening, hardening it again. Um, and that is the game's one trick. And it is the trick that it pulls um, over and over again. Um, uh, the other thing Inside does is that it has a... Um, well, with those environments changing over time, um, is that you're never bored in the scenario you're in because... Um, the world is constantly changing. You feel like you're going on a journey. Um, in this game, at a certain point relatively early on, you fall down into a kind of sewer or underground sort of structure, and that is where you spend the middle third of the game, which is sort of most of the game. So you're sort of right. underground with lots of lights that you need to fiddle with and mine carts and crumbling rubble and stuff like that. Really? And the moment that, wow, that seems completely different from what I thought was the pitch for the game. <laughs> yeah. You, you go down into a sewery thing and then you're just down there for 
fucking ages. And there's lots of puzzles with minecarts and stuff like that that was they were just so tedious to kind of go through. Uh, the puzzles in Inside are pretty genius because what they do is they show you a you you see the puzzles and you think oh I know what I have to do I have to jump up on that and knock that down and then that will knock this thing down and then I'll be sorted and what Inside does beautifully is that you do that and it doesn't work and that's the game's way and then then the game finds ways of telling you like yeah I see what you did there that was good but what can you do to that again which is going to make it work you know like try that mm. but try harder try it more <laughs> yeah. so um which is just wonderful puzzle design because you feel you feel encouraged <laughs> and you can make that tiny little logical leap um that you need to make to move on you're never going to spend more than a couple of minutes on a puzzle and inside whereas this game because of the mixture of the levels being in three dimensions the visuals being more obscure because of that, and the um, uh, the sort of powers and the tool set you have at your ability being sort of more um, elaborate, you're just never quite sure what you're supposed to be doing. And there was this one moment in the game which I kind of almost made me quit the game and not not see it through to the ending, which I'm glad I didn't do because the ending is pretty spectacular, I have to admit. But there was a bit where I got to, uh, right at the end of this underground section, where I was like, oh, finally, I'm out of this fucking mine. Great, I've just got to do this, and then I can crawl up into that light, and then I'm done. And one way was blocked. I couldn't go that way. So I was like, okay, I'll go this other way. And I, I'll, this is sort of a minor puzzle spoiler, but I don't actually think it's it matters, really. Uh, I found myself on the other side, on the right-hand side of this location, in a room with some flashing knights that I needed to respond to with um, flashes of my own abilities, right? And I was like, oh, okay, there's like a flashing thing going on here and I need to communicate with it in a kind of um, ending of Close Encounters of the Third Kind kind of way. I spent fucking 45, sorry for swearing, I spent 45, 50 minutes, I think, in there. Flash, flash, flash. No, that doesn't work. Green means four flashes. Reds, like, trying to do this thing and failing and becoming increasingly like angry and then going back out into the level and thinking, am I in the right place? Is there something I'm missing here? No, there's nothing else here. Um, going back in, doing some more flashing and just like slowly going mad. And like, you know, I've got kids. I've got, uh, you know, you know, the kids go to bed quite late. There's limited time to play games, right? And having my time wasted like that just makes me furious because I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm up for your game, but why are you making me stand in a dark room flashing lights like I'm in some diabolical psychology experiment by aliens. And then I looked on YouTube because it was too early after the game's release for there to be any guides. And I realised that on the left-hand side of the level, which I thought was blocked, was actually a ladder. There was a ladder there and I just had to climb up that ladder. But I couldn't see the ladder because it was in the background of of, of part of the level's Uh. architecture. And what I'd been doing was some side shit, some optional thing. No. Yeah. Oh, God. So infuriating. It just feels like <laughs> such a cardinal sin to not let you know. You're saying like with uh, what Uncharted does, where it like tells you when it's time to do something. Well, it was a complete failure in this game uh, to have me standing in a room doing that and me thinking say, that's though, what it was. Like uh, you were faced with the difficult problem of communicating with an alien species, and that stumped you. I was stumped by the puzzle of how to get out of field, <laughs> which happened super early in the game. But just I don't know. Like I, I, I like you. There's so much to admire about this game. You know the the vibes are oof, uh, but man, it does not anticipate my needs or intentions as a player. In the anywhere near the way the Uncharted does in its exemplary manner, I think, in like a past pod discussion, we were talking about the difference between janky and and wonky. <laughs> I was saying this game is both janky and wonky by my definition, yes. which is to say there are problems with its execution, like just a, a low level bugginess, uh, the stickiness of the collision, uh, and so forth, which are not intentions of the design. I would say uh, that's jank, pals. Um, but there are also problems with the way the design has been conceived at an intentional level, uh, like the incredibly bad signposting, 
uh, you know, what irregular bespoke interaction are you meant to have to exit a room? Um, I, I would say that is verified wonk. And the problem is that you get this jank wonk feedback loop, uh, yep. like Wagner's jank wonk cycle, where you, you can't tell if a frustration you're facing is just a weird glitch that could be solved maybe by reloading or a problem of the designer's intention simply being too obscure. And like sometimes it's fucking both. Like literally the very first interaction you have in this game, uh, you you uh, momentarily get to control the child of the family, the toddler, who gets off the couch uh, while his parents are sleeping beside him. Scary shit is happening. So like as a player, my assumption would be that I, a scared child, would attempt to wake my parents. And so... So obviously, I, I you know move closer to to dad, and a big A button prompt appears over him. But then pressing A doesn't actually do anything. It just makes your child character do this weird little hip thrust. Um, <laughs> not quite sure what that was about. And then I was like, okay, well, clearly I still need to interact with the father because that's naturally A, what I want to do, and B, it's the very first interaction that has been immediately offered to me. So I spent ages like scooting around the couch, trying to interact with dad from different sides, different angles. I couldn't do it. Uh, eventually, I just got annoyed and started seeing if I could wander off into the background of the scene as a sort of like protest. Are you telling me, Marsh, that you didn't realise that what you needed to do was uh, do what all small children do eventually and try and climb out of the kitchen window? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're meant to, to walk you. off into the dark depths of this house being assaulted by aliens and go on a little adventure that doesn't <laughs> feel at all like what i was naturally inspired to do and then the weird thing is i came back to the couch midway through and i found that i could finally make that interaction work i, I assume it just glitched out before but the interaction wasn't actually to wake my parents but to hug the dog <laughs> who wasn't even under the button prompt. And the dog just goes back to sleep. You don't even need to do it. There's literally nothing you can do by hugging the dog. So the very first thing the game offers you is A, broken, B, really misleading, and C, completely optional and irrelevant. <laughs> like, I love so much about the game's style and vibe. Uh, the story it's telling is interesting to me, but I felt there was just... Uh, like, there was a one unknowable interaction in every scene that completely threw me for a loop. And like, mm. just to go back to that field, which I spent so long in, I feel that you, the listeners, need to spend some time in it with me as well. I couldn't work out how to get out of this fucking field, which is just not an exciting problem to have. And you have this interaction that feels perimeter that lights up a chain of lights leading something into the, leading into the distance of the horizon, where you see it visibly remove something you've been taught is an obstacle. Well, obviously, that's where you have to go, right? It's literally lit up a path to it. But you can't. You're not meant to. In fact, what you have to do is go left and just sort of like chug along the fence line, which you can't even see because it's obscured by star in the foreground until you find the exact depth that you need to be at where you can pop through the fence line, which appears to be impermeable, but at some point you can pop through it. Um, and I walked up and down that fence line multiple times just to make sure I wasn't going insane. And, you know, just by luck on like my fifth or sixth attempt, pop, I got through it. And like <laughs> having exhausted, you know, previously the follow the obvious chain of lights theory. Uh, and then, you know, the well, I mean, I just didn't, at that point, I just, I just got to that. I was like, I immediately don't know what you want from me. I'm, I'm winching in either direction at the well. I can't actually tell what I'm doing because it's so small on the screen. I just like, nah, I think... I, I don't think so. I'm going to give up at this point. And I'm I mean, glad I did because it means I yeah. didn't even get to the the mines of misery. Maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll YouTube the rest. Yeah, I mean the ending's worth a watch. I, I, like, I mean, like the way you solve that puzzle, right? Is you get you you winch out the you use the um, winch command, which involves holding and swiveling your control around in a way that the game doesn't tell you how to do. Right? You get the bucket out of the well. You take the bucket over to the blue goop. Um, there's some little dweeby robots around there who will follow the blue goop over to where you are uh, and vaporize the red stuff. Right? That's how you solve that puzzle. The thing is, is that the game gives you no feedback on that you're doing well. It, you know, it has the robots follow the bucket a little way across, but it's not until you pull the bucket. Because I, what I was doing 
is I was pulling the bucket halfway across and then I was like, oh, those robots aren't following me, so I'm doing something wrong. I'll start again. No. Mm. What you're supposed to do um, is pull the bucket all the way across to where you want it to go and then the robots do follow it over. But it seems like they're not going to. Um, And yeah, it just seems like a complete failure, really. I would say that... You know, this goes back to the very origin of the genre to, you know, depending on which continent you're on, out of this world or another world, which is obviously a brilliant, like, foundational cinematic platformer. And I feel like the promise that a good cinematic platformer makes to you is to say, look, we're going to take away a bunch of stuff. We're going to take away a bunch of freedoms that you would like in a game, you know, or even going to rotoscope your main character. So his movements are going to be kind of realistic, but sort of limited. Um in, in that game. And it's like, in return, we are going to remove both Wonk and Jank from this game <laughs> and show you some crazy shit. You just have to kind of trust us on this one. Um, and Inside, which again is a, is a pretty flawless masterpiece, I think, and unfolds and concludes as just about the most incredible approximation of a nightmare I've ever encountered. <laughs> you know, that game has stayed with me um, and will stay with me forever. It's it's beautiful and brilliant and insane. Whereas this game, it keeps the wonk and the jank and 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 in doing so breaks the contract that you have with a game of this kind because it's it's not none of this stuff is additive, it's just a barrier between you and what they have to show you. Um and so yeah, I I I I, I, I sort of feel the same as you in that I really, really wanted to love this game. I really tried to love it. I played it past the point where I might have ordinarily given up. Um, And it's just a shame that it seems like such an unforced error to make a game like this difficult to play. It should be easy to play, you know. Hmm. There should be one puzzle right at the end of the game that that you have to try a couple of times. And that should be the amount of friction that's in this. And instead, it's it, it becomes a game about hunting for pixels, which is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. If only it was better. <laughs> yeah, so close. Because these games, you know, and I really, I'd like, I, I've been slagging them off mainly because of that fucking like, flashing light. But like, you know, I really admire the desire to make a game like this because I feel like it's a big ask. It's a, it's a, it's a big ask to get people to play these games. Um uh, in in a kind of in in the world we live in today, you know, and and so I really admire the ambition. I just think they probably needed to spend another year on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I wonder how long it would take to fix up a lot of the the, the problems that it has. Uh, I mean, it does. I think it needs a lot of reappraisal in the way that it's uh, designed uh, at a conceptual level, like the just the challenges in front of you need to be articulated uh, and honed. But I think you're dead right about saying that what do you say about the contract of these sorts of games? They do take away a lot of the potential interactions that you might have, but the guarantee is that the interactions that remain are really interesting. And uh, it's almost like puzzle design in that sense. You, you're taking away a bunch of uh, uh variables in order to make the interaction of those that remain really satisfying and intellectually exciting and there's there's just too much looseness in this game for that to be the case to the extent that it just gets bogged down in its own in obviousness you have to be a mind reader to know what the architects of it intend you to do because there's so much in there which is irrelevant as well to the things that it's asking of you. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, one last example from inside, you know, in the very first level of that game, there's a moment where you're chased by dogs, um, you know, and if they get you, they will they will kill you horribly in those, like, brutally final animations in that game. Um, and it might happen to you once. And then you realise what you need to do in that section is simply jump over one twig because if you if you stumble over it, the dogs will get you. And once you've done that, you just need to keep running to the right, where you will jump off a ledge just as the dogs get to you. And it's exquisite design because it's asking you to do basically one thing, um, and the game choreographs itself around you to make it feel more significant than it is. Um, and that requires kind of really pitch perfect designing. I remember reading an interview or a post uh, you know post mortem of that game and they described 
what they thought made the game successful was their willingness, and this is, you know, actually in retrospect quite a horrible thing for the people who worked on it, but just a willingness to trash huge swaths of the game if they felt like they weren't working at any stage of development, which, you know, I agree, it sounds like a nightmare. But that kind of honesty with regard to what one's game is and how it feels to play and whether or not it is the most um, impactful it can be you know, I do think that that attitude shines through in Inside, and it definitely doesn't shine through this. What are the um, other than Inside? Are there other cinematic platformers of recent years that you recommend? Uh, yeah, there's that one called Lone Far Sales. Is it called? Oh, yeah. um, which That's is really, which is a really lovely um, example of it. I think I haven't played the sequel, but I know Alex had um, good things to say about it on this very pod. It's very enjoyable. It is does feel like an almost exact rerun of the first game with slightly different verbs which is interesting like even to the extent that the the this there's almost an identical sort of beat for beat reproduction of your kind of ex- escalation of ability in that game you're you're commanding these uh you're controlling from within as a single character these large contraptions is the theme of those games for those who haven't played them um the first one is a sort of uh sand boat and the <laughs> second one is a boat boat uh, um which is kind of a weird decision to make, isn't it? Like in the first game, you had this really iconic thing uh, of a boat on sand. And the, <laughs> in the sequel, you're just like, <laughs> it's just a boat now. <laughs> uh, but it, that means it does get water, water physics involved, which is exciting. But Yes, yeah. no, that, that one was good. And then there's, I mean, there's a, a Eternal Darkness, which I haven't actually played, but I know has its fans. Um uh flashback which is getting a sequel flashback 2 was announced at an e3 uh a3 this year i think made by the same team which is kind of great i mean that's one of the sort of foundational ones um beautifully animated incredibly hard i don't think i ever saw past the first area of that game but like i'm excited for there to be a sequel but again it's it's one of those things where inside is so good it's almost got that kind of problem of dark souls where no matter how hard anyone tries, it seems like um, no one's ever going to get it quite right. Um, that kind of secret source, no one's ever going to quite nail it, which is why I was so excited for Somerville, because I was hoping that they, they would they would have that. You know, I mean, maybe the Marble game will, will have some of those um, vibes. Uh, uh, um, who knows? <laughs> is there a... I mean, uh, without giving in about in the side, there is... There are developments in that game which um, I would challenge anybody to predict. <laughs> uh, is is there anything similar in in Somerville? There is there is an attempt. There are attempts to do um, something similar. I'd say uh, it's just not as successful. Um, you know, you you could you could probably sit here uh, with a bunch of people uh, and and come up with the ending after a, after a little bit of brainstorming. You know, it's it's nothing. It's not far fetched enough. Inside the ending of that game. I mean, it just it rendered me completely speechless. Um, it's unexpected to say the least. And you know, this game—it's kind of, you know, if you've seen some of the more like, um, uh, you know, movies like Interstellar or Arrival or something like that, it's it's not too far removed from that kind of thing. It does make some bold choices uh, about its characters, like um, it's got it's you know the endings. The ending is worth it. It's still worth playing through. I think it will be even more worth it when there's guides out uh, so you can just obviate having to work your way out of these puzzles. Um, uh, yeah. But one other thing is like the aliens in this game, um, the animation on them is just some of the best I've ever seen in a video game. The way they move with such fluidity and ease through the environment uh, is just staggeringly good. You know, there's one moment where one just stands near you and takes its helmet off and you see its face and it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. It's like a, it's one of those things where it just feels like a, a glimpse of another world. It's done so well. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Well, I'll be looking at that on YouTube later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you, I mean, do you think I should persist then? Get nah. over my hump and just... Nah, like watch the last 25 minutes of it on on uh on youtube that'd be fine i'm sure brutal <laughs> it really that flashing thing really annoyed me i felt like a like a 
of Crow being asked to peck at a screen in, for a scientific experiment. It really <laughs> me. And also, the thing that you're flashing at, they've animated it very carefully to kind of roll its eyes at you when you get it wrong. It goes like, it like literally like rolls its eyes and shakes its head. Like, no, 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 it's like this. I made me feel like I was in primary school again. <laughs> uh, I wonder what the solution to that puzzle is. God, God knows. What is it? I, I mean, did you look that up on YouTube to see what, what happens when you do the optional puzzle? Or? Uh, no. No, I'm done with that game. <laughs> and I'm done with those flashings. Well, that's all the time we had for this podcast. Uh, if you'd like to send us some questions, you can do so at questions at craneCrowbar.com or you can tweet us at craneCrowbar. You can listen to all these recordings as videos on YouTube or you can find other nonsense by us. The address for that is youtube.com slash craneCrowbar. Thanks as always to our backers on Patreon. You can back us too if you like at patreon.com slash craneCrowbar or you can just join our lovely Discord community, uh, the link for which is on our website, craneCrowbar.com. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis. Flash, 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 flash. Oh, sorry, I was having flashbacks. Uh, I've been Jamie Britton. <laughs> Thanks for listening, for listening everybody. everybody.